Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015. It's the Hockey Pediocast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey Pediocast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me, making his triumphant return after many, many moons of not being on the show, it's my good buddy Chris Johnston. Chris, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. What's going on, man? It's good to uh, finish off this decade with you because we had lots of good shows over the, the time and uh, enjoying uh, getting back. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Um, it's uh, it's quite the time in this season. Obviously, we had the uh, we had a pretty hectic uh, sort of end before the holiday break, and then now we've got the holiday trade freeze. Obviously, Christmas and all the goings on and, and World Juniors. And I, I wanted to get you on the show now because it feels like. Um, we're at an interesting crossroads in the season where we have enough of a sample for all these teams for them to know in their hierarchy where they stand, how good they are, where their flaws are, what they need to address and improve. But there's also enough time left where um, there's not that. They're not backs aren't completely up against the wall. There's still whatever, six weeks or so until the trade deadline. And there's time for teams to send feelers out and let things percolate. So I thought you and I could kind of get into some of the... Uh, Goings on behind the scenes right now, or the or the behind the scenes scuttlebutt, or whatever situations worth monitoring, and uh, get into that. But I think the the most logical starting point for us is the big domino that fell before the break, and it was the uh, Taylor Hall trade. Yeah, and that's that's a weird one. I mean, normally we don't don't have that significant of a trade at this point in the season, and uh, you know, it had some ramifications, I guess, around the league just because he is such a, a notable player, and the fact that New Jersey was willing to move him early. Yeah, whenever something like that happens, there's going to be reverberations uh, felt around the league. And I think the the most interesting follow-up for me beyond the obvious effect on the Coyotes Taylor Hall is going to have and how this impacts his impending free agency is, it felt like there was a lot of teams in on him. And that's not surprising considering the caliber of player he is. But, you know, whether it was the Colorado Avalanche or um, we'll lump in the Panthers, the Islanders, maybe even the Flames there, um, there was all sorts of rumblings or reports around teams that looked like they were definitely in the mix. They were certainly interested in shaking things up and adding, uh, obviously, a former MVP to their ranks and, and instantly improving their offense. So I'm kind of curious, 
where teams, how close those teams really were, because we never really kind of hear about that. I think we heard that the Panthers, for example, pulled themselves out of the race when they realized they couldn't talk extension with him and they didn't want to trade for a pure rental like that, given the price. But just how close things were, like why the Devils ultimately went that route, because certainly people like myself, when they looked at the return, thought, hmm, for a former MVP, it feels like you probably should get more than a bunch of kind of magic beans, despite the intrigue of Kevin Ball as a prospect and what that first round or could be if the Coyotes don't make the playoffs. But given the caliber of the player and all the teams that were interested, was it just the matter of like New Jersey had kind of an urgency, especially when they decided to pull him from the lineup that they just wanted to end a saga and they were happy with what they got? Or do you think this was ultimately the the best thing that was out there for them considering his uh, free agent status? Well, well, they were certainly betting on the fact that the return wasn't going to get better. Uh, no matter what you or I might think of it, that, that had they waited until closer to February 24th, that, that the fact that the market might shrink on them and that they wouldn't be able to get as many pieces as they ended up getting in the deal with the Coyotes. And, you know, I think that there's even a practical aspect to it and that there, there's some risk in playing him if he gets injured. Those types of things is pretty clear what direction the double season is going. And they made minds up that before the holiday free, uh, trade freeze kicked in, you know, somewhere in early December, uh, they decided basically they were going to have, uh, you know, almost three weeks to, to move them. Uh, you know, when it got down to that final week, of course, they, they scratched them from the two games and were trying to create the market there. I, you know, I don't know how many teams at that point were left. You know, it sounded like Florida came in quickly and, and left around that period. I think Calgary was was in it pretty close to the end. Uh, you know, Edmonton was, was involved prior to that. I think, you know, one of the interesting things the Devils did here is that you know, often when a, a GM is, is going to move a player, you know, he, he lets his colleagues know what, what type of return uh, it's going to take to get the player. You know, from my understanding in this case, you know, one of the things Ray sure did is he invited teams to make their best offer but, but didn't show his hand or didn't say it has to be a prospect deal or, you know, I need another player that makes a similar salary back. I think that he was uh, open to, to letting all those teams kind of dream up the, the, the package that they thought would work that might – uh, get things going and then obviously took it from there and, and got serious with Arizona at the end. Kind of reminds me when you're doing like a, a fantasy football draft or a fantasy draft of any sorts, especially if it's an auction and, and you're like, you know, a player comes up on the board and then you're like, you see the bidding going for them and it's going and, and it gets to a point where you realize that it might be a bit too rich for you and, and you see all the other players that are left on the board and you're like, oh, I'm just going to kind of let this one go and kind of circle back later and see if I can get a similar player. But the issue for me with that line of thinking here and, and certainly between now and the end of February, uh, various situations can change and a player that previously wasn't available can become available. But um, this year's rental class or trade market is really uh, a different one than ones we've seen in the past because the part of what makes it so strange is it really feels like a lot of these impending UFAs that are legitimate needle movers that could come in and make an immediate impact on teams are already on teams that are going for it and will likely keep them, whether it's Nicholas Backstrom or Alex Petrangelo or Tori Krug, Tyson Berry, so on and so forth. Um, and so it limits the market quite a bit, I think. I wonder um, if teams do get desperate, whether we'll start seeing um, you know, more exorbitant prices paid for guys who have more years left on their deal and, and sort of untraditional uh, trade deadline deals like that. Because for in terms of the pure rental class, um, beyond, I'd say, Chris Kreider, there really isn't a forward out there that I think... Um, can legitimately make any sort of type of impact that you know Mark Stone made last year for Vegas or uh, Taylor Hall is going to make for the Coyotes because as much as I love a guy like Mike
Mike Hoffman or, you know, I'm all respect to John Gabriel Pajot in the year he's having in Ottawa. I think those guys are clearly a step below in terms of um, their effectiveness, productivity, especially offensively, and what they're actually going to bring to a team that trades for them as a rental. Right. I mean, essentially, you're talking about depth pieces and, and you know, those guys will have some utility uh, for other teams. And, and, you know, I think Pajo in particular will have a lot of interest, but it's for teams looking to play him on their third or fourth line versus, you know, the, the Taylor Hall conversation. I think that, you know, one of the reasons so many teams were involved is it allowed them to almost reimagine what they're doing, you know, with their team in season, which, again, doesn't doesn't really come along too much in the way that the, the salary cap has has sort of dictated the business of the league the, the last few years. And, um, you know, a, a team like Edmonton recognized, for example, that they need secondary scoring beyond their, their top guns. I think we all see that. And, and you know, Hall offered them, at least in theory, the potential to totally remake a second line or, or create where they have a top six that, that looks, you know, pretty different uh, than, than they have right now. That's only one player acquisition. You know, I'm with you. Kreider will, will now probably be the, the biggest player on the market that moves uh, before the 24th, assuming, you know, that's what the Rangers elect to do with him. Uh, as we're talking now, they're kind of kicking around a little bit, maybe where they could talk themselves into a, a playoff run. Um, but you know, basically if we, uh, if we project out where I think what, what, where this will probably end up is that he'll be really the only other player that I think can, that teams can at least think, all right, this, this really dramatically changes the, the, the top half of our roster. And, and so, um, you know, it, it, it kind of doesn't bode well for us to, in the rumor business, uh, you know, leading up to the trade deadline, I, I don't think that this sets up, at least as we're, we're talking right now as a particularly, sexy you know couple months of transactions ahead uh and you know you're, you're right that kind of is part of it, it's an important part or contextual point in, in the hall discussions is that i think most of these teams would have recognized this as well while they were having discussions with, with new jersey yeah well there's one thing about us as media members we can we can make it work uh, we'll, we'll talk up tyler zafoli as uh, as the next big thing i'm sure that uh we'll have no issues with that <laughs> Um. Yeah. It's um. Well, yeah. no, and then and you get in the number eight D's. We'll be getting the headlines oh, and yeah. everything too. So. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, I I think you know as an interesting thought exercise here. I wonder, um, whether we're gonna see like a a a legitimate shift in how teams do business moving forward from the perspective of dealing with rentals and with you know if you're a team that is on the way up, let's say, or, or on the bubble, you're kind of realized that your competitive window is probably a couple years down the line and you have a player who's not necessarily a disgruntled star by any means, but you know their timeline and when they're hitting free agency might not line up with yours as a franchise, whether you're better off being more proactive and actually um, looking ahead and dealing with this a year before the free agency comes. I know like, uh, you know, Bill Simmons on his podcast has been talking a lot about the NBA and, and sort of how there's this effect of pre-agency now where uh, these star players are trying to force their force their team's hand a year before and go to certain destinations. And, you know, for NHL teams, after you see what someone like Matt Duchesne, for example, went for where, um, 
the predator where the avalanche were able to get this ridiculous combination of assets because they dealt him while he still had a year plus on his deal and so a team like the senators was able to talk themselves into it being more than just a rental and especially you know if you're a smart team and you're looking around and you can potentially take advantage of a situation like the avalanche did with ottawa where it's like you're kind of skeptical of how good that team actually is and maybe a year or two from now their pick is going to wind up being really good i do wonder if it's more advantageous to do that especially after you see the underwhelming returns that mark stone went for last year where you get you know a fine prospect in eric branson and a second round pick but nothing that'll necessarily completely change your franchise and and now with what new jersey got for hall like considering the players involved in their caliber and and sort of their name brand around the league and then sizing it up with what they got in return it feels like there's an imbalance now where teams aren't getting nearly enough value so i know it's kind of a tough message to sell to your to your to your fans and your teams that you're pulling the plug a year early but i do wonder like how much better off teams would be setting themselves up for the future if if they were getting ahead of this as opposed to waiting till like the last possible minute well you know i i do think they were going to see a bit more of an evolution that way but you know one of the issues i think with the nhl is that you know, in any given year, it's hard to know who's who's going to be really good and, and not. I mean, uh, we can usually identify that, that small handful of teams we can expect to, to be in lottery position. And, um, you know, I think it's harder for, for teams to know uh, sometimes when the right moment to, you know, to make those hard calls is going to be. And, and you know, as, as long as the margins are, are a little bit thin in the league, I, I think there's still going to be that temptation to, to hold on to guys uh, for those seasons. But, you're right. I, I think that there's clearly a benefit there if you're able to make those those tough decisions. Uh, because if you remember the, the the time the Avalanche made the Duchesne deal, it felt a little bit like they were in nowhere, and mm-hmm. it's been a couple of tough years uh, for that organization. Obviously, in case it was you know a, a guy that they picked high in the draft that, that wanted out at that point in time, and then you you only look what are we 18 months ahead of that now, and and they appear to be a team that we might be talking about for the next five to ten years as a perennial contender and and so you know there's clearly some benefit i think to to ripping the band-aid off um i just, I just don't get the, the sense that 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 many teams at this moment in time are inclined to do it but you know what we do find is that the other sports uh you know some of the trends there are, are borrowed and and i do think as organizations continue to, to get more analytically inclined um you know that the, you're going to see a bit more of that because uh the, the there's a big difference between trading a guy it appears with six months left on his deal than you know a year and six months and mm-hmm. and you know when you quantify the performance for that year if, especially if you feel though for whatever reasons you, you can't sign them the, you know the cap issue that you're anticipating or you feel the player might uh, be inclined to test free agency i mean um you know it, it, it makes a lot of yeah well okay so let's let's keep with the uh with the theme there then and create the assets sooner than later yeah, well, okay, let's keep the, the the theme there and talk about the Avalanche because they are, uh, you know, they were clearly rumored there to be in on, on Taylor Hall. And, and now I'm very curious to see how aggressive they get with um, with their assets this season and how they view themselves against the rest of the league and whether they try to kind of have their cake and eat it too by prolonging their window and sort of just banking all these assets and making not a half-hearted push, but going in with the team they have now, maybe some making some moves on the margins and then trying to, you know, add some of these defensemen they've drafted and, and some of these young picks that they've had over the years into their system next year and moving forward and how to try to have, you know, like a 10-year window here or whether they really sort of realize that, listen, we are blessed with Nathan McKinnon, who is a top, 
two player in the league for my money right now and whenever you have a player of that caliber you're sort of doing yourself a disservice if you're not doing everything you can to try to win a Stanley Cup and you can't take future success for granted in this league because as you mentioned from year to year you never know really who's going to be good and who's not and while your window can look open now for however many years to come it can shut just as quickly and so you know, there's a lot going on there, especially with um, having to potentially pay McCarr and Landeskog a couple of years and, and McKinnon's salary and this team-friendly deal he's on uh, eventually getting doubled. Like, if you're the Avalanche, what do you, how do you approach this now that you missed out on Taylor Hall's, considering that there isn't sort of uh, another big fish out there beyond, I guess, Chris Kreider? Are you, are you still uh, viewing this season as aggressively as you were before that, or are you kind of uh, taking a step back now and reevaluating? I think they're going to be a team that's really in on everybody, at least just from an exploratory angle. And, you know, obviously a lot of teams operate that way, but I think that they are in such a privileged spot because they, they already have a good team and they have a number of future assets that, that could be used to, to, you know, consummate all kinds of trades. And and so, you know, I, I don't know if they yet know how aggressive they want to be. You know, ultimately with Hall, I think they deemed him to be a bit of a luxury you know, given that they've they've scored you know a fair amount of goals this year, and and yep. you know it, when you're getting into first round picks and potentially you know some of the prospects they really like as as part of the the trade package that was going to be needed, I just think that uh, you know they, they didn't feel the the, the push to, uh, to 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 sacrifice the future in that way, and and you know it is amazing because you're you're right to bring up McKinnon's contract there, you know probably the best value deal in the league or certainly in on any top five list that you're going to put together, but you know, it's still not forever before you're negotiating his next extension. And, and obviously at that point in time, you know, he's, he's probably doubling that salary or something uh, close to that at that, uh, at that period. So, um, you know, I, I think that they're smart in a sense to, to want to keep developing players at a decent rate because they're going to need to be bringing entry level impact guys in the years ahead, you know, when their, their contention window is open and, you know, I don't know that we're going to see them make a, a big impact splash. You know, I, I think with Hall, you know, they, they wanted to see how far they could take it, you know, where, uh, you know, New Jersey might, you know, what they might be willing to accept in return. But, you know, they, they they appeared to be out of it, you know, probably a week before the deal was made or or somewhere in that, that time frame, four or five days anyway. I don't I don't get the sense that they were they were right down to the, the, the final whistle there. And, and that's just because it was clear. Uh, that the Devils at least had a package that, that they weren't able to to match or unwilling to, and and so you know even though they they have this this window that I think is opening for them to compete, I mean uh, reasonably they're probably going to be better in the next couple of years just with the internal improvement of of you know adding some of those you know whether it's a Bo Byram to the lineup, but even just the you know the step you would expect Kale McCarr to continue to take as he gets his feet under him even more at the NHL level, and so. You know, I, I don't know that they're going to be a big deadline buyer because there, there isn't really the pressure, in my opinion, on them on them to do that. I mean, if if if, if there's a, a price there that that makes sense for them, I could see it. But you know, I think that they're going to continue to be pretty calculated and and not be out there taking big risks because this this isn't their only year that they they think they have a, a chance to win the cup. I think that they can reasonably expect to, to be in that position for the next five or more. 
Yeah, well, especially I mean, for these years they're paying McKinnon six million or whatever, and 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 have Makar on his ELC. I think these next two win two years are, are uh, a big opportunity for them to really kind of flex their financial might. I, the, the player that makes a lot of sense here, and we touched on a little bit before, is, is Jean Gabriel Pajot for them, just because um, if you look at them, you you mentioned how Hall would be kind of a luxury because of the offense they already have, and and how good they are uh, on that top line. Like uh, Pajot is a guy who sort of would slide in to that third center role which I think is still a bit of a uh, kind of open-ended thing for them and, and they don't have someone there especially for this season that makes a ton of sense like that would be an intriguing fit now the issue is because of Pajot's ridiculous uh, you know shooting luck where he's got these 18 goals and he's plus 21 and, and he's had a remarkable season but there's a lot of stuff that's conflating his value that's kind of increasing his value artificially a little bit so I wonder what the right. market is going to be like for him and, and if it becomes to the point where a team's giving up like basically more than than uh the devils just gave up or haul which i actually uh crazy enough could see happening closer to the deadline uh that's probably going to take a smart team like colorado out of it because as good as pajo is eventually reach a point of kind of diminishing returns but i think for them like you mentioned sort of the uh feeling the need to do something or the kind of uh impetus to do so like on the one hand i agree on the other hand I really think this year, it seems like it, we say this every year, but it, it's like such a wonky season from the perspective of especially out West. The really, I'm having a tough time looking at all those teams and sizing them up and, and trying to find a team that doesn't have at least one kind of pretty serious imperfection to it. Like I would say that uh, Vegas, for example, is kind of the most well-rounded team, but they certainly with their blue line and how reliant they are on Marc-Andre Fleury um, aren't, you know, this kind of, they aren't the 2007 Detroit Red Wings by any means. I think right. there's uh, some, there's an opening there for a team like the Avalanche. They themselves have some flaws, but whenever you have McKinnon and, and you have McCarr playing as well as they are, and you have kind of this treasure chest full of assets, like I, I struggle with, you know, we've seen what happened with the Leafs over the past couple of years with Winnipeg, so on and so forth. Like it's sometimes not as simple as we make it out to be of like oh just let this stuff organically happen and three years from now you're gonna finally be hoisting the stanley cup like sometimes you have to kind of make your own window and get a little aggressive even if you think it's ahead of your timeline and so for them that that would be kind of the interesting thing for me i certainly wouldn't be making any rash decisions or trading bow bow and byram just to try and you know marginally improve my chances this year but if it came to you know even a first round pick that's in the 20s or or some sort of a depth uh depth asset i would certainly be looking to improve my team just because i do think this year there's a an interesting opportunity presenting itself for a team like the avalanche or anyone out west quite frankly right and and you know i think that that's really the balancing act that that they're probably the the tightrope they're they're kind of walking at, at this point in time and and you know i i just wonder you know, it, it is how much value, though, at, at this point, do we place on rentals? And, and you know, I've heard this talk a little bit from from some front offices that, you know, they almost want to exclusively be out of that game, that they don't know uh, that that it's really worth it. And, and you know, I think that that's that maybe is part of the the discussion here is, is you know, how much of is 20 regular season games or, or so of, of J.G. Pajot worth to a team like the Avalanche, plus whatever they can accomplish in, in the playoff time. And, and, you know, even if he is having a great season, you know, what what sort of how big is that impact does it, does it get you over the top does it win you one more round or, or, or you know and, and i don't know that we have a perfect answer to that uh but that's part of what goes on at the deadline nowadays too because it, it does seem as though some of the good teams are, are a little bit gun shy on on you know giving up assets for for such a limited window of a player mm-hmm. yeah what if a guy like a 
I'm just throwing this out off the top of my head, but a guy like Kyle Palmieri, I know that he has like an extra year left on his deal. I know he's a winger and not a center necessarily, but you know, there's certain guys like that that uh, would make sense for a team like the Avalanche where you'd get two kicks that they can, and I don't think the price would be uh, so off-putting that you'd be running away from the table. But um, CJ, let's take a, a quick break here to hear from a sponsor, and then you and I are going to uh, talk about some teams that are feeling the heat and pressure and are most likely to make uh, a move sometime between now and the deadline. Sponsoring today's episode of the Hockey PDO cast is SeatGeek. Getting tickets to events can feel overly complicated, but it doesn't really need to be because SeatGeek is changing the game for you and making it easier than ever before. SeatGeek is going to do all the work for you, so you don't need to open a million different tabs and scour multiple sites just to kind of compare deals and make sure you're not getting ripped off. SeatGeek is going to do all that for you. They're going to pull millions of tickets together from all over the web into one place. Then they rate each of them as a deal on a scale of 1 to 10, and then finally they break them down and display them on an interactive seat map, showing you all the details, indicating good deals with green dots and overpriced tickets with red dots so you know what to stay away from. Plus, every purchase with SeatGeek is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets with confidence, knowing that what you're paying for is what you're going to get. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I've found time and time again that it is by far the easiest and fastest way to find tickets. They save you time, they save you money, and they save you effort. Whether it's a hockey game, basketball, uh, you know, football, baseball down the road, you know, concerts, uh, stand-up comedy, theater, you name it. If it's got tickets, SeatGeek's going to have it. And this is the perfect time of year to check it out because I know Christmas just passed, but there's still it's still a holiday season it's still uh, enough time left for you to belatedly get your loved ones gifts to an event that they might not otherwise treat themselves to and splurge a little bit and SeatGeek's going to make sure that they hook you up with the best seats possible for that and make it affordable as well because i know you're all spending a bunch of money this time of year and along those lines, uh, as one final added bonus, just for listening to today's episode of the PDO cast, CKC even going to give you $10 off your first purchase with them. All you need to do is use our promo code and let them know we sent you. So download the CKC app today and use our promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase. Now let's get back to CJ. All right. Um, so something interesting happened. I think it was yesterday actually, but, um, with the Chicago Blackhawks moving Brent Seabrook and Calvin DeHaan to LTIR, they cleared up a ton of cap space. And now I don't know how functional that is for them because they're still a, a pretty bad team that um, is going to have to be cap compliant by the end of the season and, and moving forward. And so they can't take on a bunch of future money to try and improve their team now. But the instant thought that I had that popped into my head when I saw that was, um, whether they could help facilitate some trades where they would potentially um, take on bad money that's expiring from teams to allow them to open up uh, financial cap space for them to then turn around and you know make a make an actual hockey trade with a third team where they improve their roster. So I don't know, like, do, what do you think about that? Do you think it's a bit too risque, or, or do you think there's uh, some legs to that? My sense is they're open to that, and you know what's interesting about the the, the concept in theory is. I've heard a number of teams over the years kind of posit that that's how they might use their extra cap space. And, and in my opinion, anyway, very few have ever really been able to leverage it to, 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 you know, accomplish much doing that, you know, and it makes me feel a little, in, you know, intrigued by, you know, where we are now, because, you know, you just need to go to cap friendly or whichever of your favorite cap site there is and see that there really aren't that many teams. I mean, even some surprising teams are, are, basically capped out or are very close to the, the ceiling at this point in the season. And so, you know, it does appear that there's there's more teams that could probably use that help. 
And, you know, at minimum, Chicago is positioned to do it, certainly with any expiring money. Uh, as, you, as you reference, it gets a little complicated if you're talking about uh, dealing a contract to them that, that has, you know, years beyond this one just because uh, they're still going to have the same problem next year that they've had because they've been a team that's that's been right up at the ceiling for, for many seasons now. And so, um, you know, I, I, I like the idea. I think that it's something they're open to exploring, but I don't know if it's actually going to come to fruition. Uh, just because, you know, even Montreal, for example, the last couple of seasons has had cap space and I think that they've been willing to use it, but it just has, it's never really made a lot of sense for, for them or, or, you know, in terms of what they can get in addition, you know, to swallow that poison pill. I mean, look, Carolina got a first round pick of the Leafs, uh, you know, in the off season for, for taking Patrick Marlowe's deal and, and then subsequently buying it out. So, you know, that, that cap space does have, can have some significant value, but, you know, I think the conditions have to be right in the marketplace for that to come to fruition. And, and, you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see if, if, if those conditions exist right now in the league. Yeah. Well, Chicago's in an interesting spot because I think, uh, I'm very curious, you know, if you gave, uh, Stan Bowman, uh, some truth serum and you, or you talked to him behind the scenes, like how he would size up, um, his current roster and where they stand because, you know, they still put on a brave face publicly, I think. And, and, and they went into this season. I mean, it was pretty clear by the trades they made for both Dehan and, and Olimata and how they approached their season and getting Andrew Shaw back that they thought they were a couple, you know, tinkering pieces away and potentially improving a bit defensively from not necessarily getting back to their Stanley Cup heights, but getting back into the playoff mix. And, you know, what's happened is they're still just as horrific defensively as they were last year under Jeremy Colleton. I think that just the brilliance of Robin Leonard and Corey Crawford and Nett has really masked a lot of those flaws. But I think anyone watching this team knows they're still pretty far away from getting back to any sort of competitive window. And so for them, especially with the clear defined timeline of we basically can only take on expirings for this cap space because of all the money that's coming back next season. They're in an interesting spot. There's a couple teams. I was I was doing a bit of a uh, scan on cap friendly in terms of you need to find the right fit of a team that is, you know, competitive now and would in theory be looking to improve their roster and has an expiring deal that is actually of some sort of substantial value but is a player that isn't a key contributor to them right now, right? And and there's very few instances of that i think that the ones that come to to mind right now are you know vegas has an interesting spot where if they were to for example deal let's say cody eakin and nick holden uh who you know both certainly aren't key contributors to that roster they could free up uh north of six million dollars and it could certainly improve their roster through that and the other one for me that was really interesting was the leafs and I, i'm not sure where they currently stand with the cody cc experiment i know that his minutes are down about in a minute and a half under sheldon keith compared to where they were with babcock when he was playing north of 22 but uh you know his 4.5 million and the uh you know clear flaws that that team still has despite how well they've been playing under keith i, I think that would be an interesting thing but obviously uh it would depend on how they actually view him and whether they think that um, he's someone that you would get rid of to improve your roster or whether uh, you wouldn't be able to actually improve that spot. Well, I can say with confidence they view him more highly than you and I probably do in terms of his impact on on the team. You know, it, it is notable, though, that, you know, since Sheldon Keefe's taken over and obviously in, in Keefe, the Leafs now have a coach that we know is, is you know, on the same page as management and, and you know, is, is working as part of an organizational decisions, you know, a little more clearly than Mike Babcock was that, you know, his minutes have dropped. He's been, been you know, bumped down to the third pairing where he was playing, you know, on, on what was for a time their shutdown pair earlier in the year with Morgan Riley. So, you know, he's the only deal that I can see from Toronto 
where they could trade him and they're not cutting into to bone or cutting into part of what they like about their team. You know, obviously, if, if they ever wanted, I don't think it'd be hard to say move Kasperi Kapanen and, and, and his contract, uh, Andreas Janssen, you know, those type of players. But, you know, I don't think the team is in, inclined to do so. And, and so CC really sets up as the only guy that I, I think reasonably that they could move that creates a cap space they would need to, to make some other corresponding move, you know, prior to the deadline. And, and, you know, if they don't do that, you know, really what you're looking at now is the Leafs as currently constructed are more or less probably going to be, um, you know, what they are even post trade deadline. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't put anything past their, their front office. I think, you know, they've, they've tried to be as creative as you can be within the parameters of the CBA, probably more than any other team. I mean, they've been incentivized to do that uh, because obviously they have the financial wherewithal as an organization to, to say pay signing bonuses on July 1st and player trade players July 2nd, um, you know, as they did with a, a couple different guys uh, this this last summer, uh, which, you know, helped get the CC for Zaitsev deal done uh, mm-hmm. in part. Uh, and same with the, the deal with Nazem Kadri. I believe they paid a bonus to him prior to during, dealing with the Colorado. So, you know, they, they do exploit the margins uh, or, or try to, to find the gray in, in the system as much as anyone. And so, you know, I don't, I don't think it can be ruled out. The problem is Cody CC still is a right-hand shot defenseman that plays in the NHL, and the Leafs organizationally just don't have yeah. they don't have a lot of guys that do that. And, and so, you know, maybe if it's as part of a deal to get another right shot D, I, I could see it happening. Um, but you know, if not, I, I wouldn't be surprised, quite honestly, if if we don't see them really make any transactions or no between the end of the season. Yeah, well, it's. Um... Yeah, the market certainly isn't flush with those types of players. I always viewed when they made that swap, I think people misunderstood it because I think it was a lot about just getting out from under that Nikita Zaitsev money. But I think I also viewed it as like, you know, that Cody CC 4.5 million is a bit of a placeholder where they can um, eventually use that money to either rebuild him as an asset and potentially flip him and, and get a gain or, or somehow move out that money to improve their roster when the opportunity presented itself. And it looked like a really, you know, good plan at the start of the year because he was playing a lot under Mike Babcock and he fit more so with what they were trying to do. And now under Sheldon Keefe, I do think that there's been a lot of instances where um, his skill set or, or let's say lack thereof has stuck out like a bit of a sore thumb in terms of how they want to play and how they want to move the puck but you're right I mean ultimately it comes down to not just getting rid of him for the sake of getting rid of him but what you're going to do with that 4.5 million or however much uh, room you create for yourself and whether you can improve it and as I mentioned before um, you know they have one of the rentals in terms of Tyson Berry and then guys like Petrangelo and crew clearly aren't going anywhere where their team's trying to win cups right now and so uh, the market for guys you could bring on at a relatively low expense is is pretty limited especially considering um, you know the assets they've already traded when they traded for Jake Muzzin last year, and then trading their first future first to get rid of Patrick Marlowe's deal. So um, the the room to as creative as they, I'm sure they'd like to get the room to actually tangibly improve your roster through that route is is probably um, a tighter fit than uh, we'd like to make it to believe. Yeah, and you know we we might never get to walk through this sliding door, but you know when we were struggling early in the year under Mike Babcock, you know I was kind of wondering if it got to February and and you know they hadn't sort of pulled out of that nosedive, you know, would they become a seller? Would they be a team that tries to trade some of those those assets on the blue line? But, you know, alas, they've gone 11-4 and four since Sheldon Keefe <laughs> took over, at least as we're talking right now. And, and you know, it does appear that they're they're pretty firmly back in the playoff hunt. And, and you know, that probably won't be, a, won't be a reality that they have to face. But, you know, it would have been interesting, you know, had they 
kind of just skidded along if they would have turned into a seller, uh, you know, at the deadline. I think it probably would have been a tough, tough thing to sell in the marketplace. It would have been tough given, you know, how much they're paying their forwards, but they might have found themselves in that position as Tampa did remember a couple seasons ago when they were trading Brian Boyle and Phil Pula at the deadline of, you know, what was a pretty good team at that time. Yep. Yep. That's right. Uh, okay. Enough about the Leafs. Let's, uh, let's do the, uh, the Sharks here for a second. I think they are the most, in a, the most fascinating spot of any of these teams because I think the appetite for, we were talking about the appetite for the, the Avalanche to do something and whether it's there, I think for the Sharks, uh, if we know anything about Doug Wilson is he's certainly not scared to rock the boat and make a big move and they've missed the playoffs once in the past 15 years. And so I think, uh, you know, this is a very unusual spot for them to be in now. They're in a bind here because they don't have their first this year, and it's quite the turn of events for the Senators where they're looking like they could potentially have a top five pick that wasn't their own after uh, giving theirs away recently. And they have, and I'm gonna, I wrote this down here just for uh, added effect. They have 47.5 million combined for 2023, 2024 already in 38 year old wow. Ben Burns, 34 year old Logan Couture, 33 year old Eric Carlson, 32 year old Evander Kane, and 36-year-old Vlasic, 34-year-old Martin Jones. And so that's quite the uh, predicament to be in. Now, between now and 2023, who knows what's going to happen. As we've seen with teams like the Leafs and the Blackhawks, there's certainly ways to uh, stay cap compliant and move some money around, especially with aging players. And so uh, it's never as bleak as it looks, especially with that far down the road being your your lens you're looking through. But at the same time, uh, for this team it's pretty clear that they've boxed themselves into a corner where they can't really afford to, you know, slow play this and be like, all right, two years from now, we're going to sort of, uh, get this back, get this operation going back and we're going to, uh, achieve the heights that we were at before. And, you know, not too recently, uh, not too long ago, they were, you know, a couple bounces away from potentially competing in the Stanley Cup final. And now all of a sudden they are, I think they're like 29th or something in, uh, in point percentage this season. And so, I'm kind of curious to see what they're going to do. I mean, their hands are kind of tied in terms of how much money they inv- invested in aging players on kind of anchor type contracts that most teams wouldn't trade for. And I'm not sure, even sure if Doug Wilson would want to trade those players to begin with. But, you know, the there's very few avenues for them to improve their team, but it's pretty clear that they can't just stay status quo because they, as I said, they don't have their first. So, you know, just kind of chugging along at this pace clearly isn't acceptable. I don't know. Is there anything that they conceivably could do, whether they would pursue, like, like what's the, what's the vibe right now with San Jose? You've painted the perfectly bleak picture here. Cause I think it, <laughs> I, I don't think you've exaggerated anything, you know, about the, the situation they're in. And, you know, I, I found it, interesting that they at least were inquiring on hall because i don't know what universe they could even make that deal you know as it is i mean what they would have to be clearing out in terms of cap space even just to bring them in for the rest of the season you know what they could be offering and in terms of the the picks and prospects because they've kind of been down that road and making it you know a few impact trades the last last few seasons and you know realistically where they stand and and uh, it's it's heading the wrong way, and it, you know it's there's no saying that there isn't a version of this team that can be more competitive next year, even with with a lot of the guys you mentioned and their contracts and their ages. I mean, uh, I'm not certainly pronouncing all those players done as impactful NHLers, but you know they're in a really difficult spot, and you know I I, I do know that they'll be in on everything that that you know they feel they they could use some more help uh, at at forward in particular and and scoring help. 
Um, but you know, they're, they're really not dealing from a position of strength in, in any way here. And, and, um, I, I wish I could conjure up a solution or, you know, a way that, that they can, you know, make this happen. But I think ultimately it wouldn't surprise me if they go through these next few months and just can't really make the, the kind of deals that are made for those players, either because of their, their cap position or, or, you know, the, the lack of assets that, that, you know, they have to really have a debate. Do we want to keep moving second round picks, for example, if we don't have our first, uh, or is that, that going to ultimately be, uh, you know, another death by a thousand cuts, just, just another, you know, net loss for a team that let's face it is already in a really difficult spot as we're talking now to get back into the playoff picture. I mean, they're going to have to play at a level that they haven't sustained at, you know, at any point during the season, you know, for, for half a year, basically probably to get in. I mean, I guess where it, where it might work is the West is pretty bunched up. And, you know, as we spoke about earlier, it's, there's not, there's not a lot of powerhouse teams or clear powerhouse teams. And so maybe there's, there's a world where they can still get in the playoffs this year, but um, you know, I, I just see that them being uh, stuck between a rock and a hard place. And, and, you know, I don't know that they're going to be able really to, to acquire anyone impactful between now and the deadline to try to reverse fortunes immediately. Yeah, I mean, they're 1-8-1 and in December, and uh, I think, you know, it was pretty clear what was going on there with the when they changed coaches. I mean, it was similar to New Jersey from the perspective of, like, you know, you're so bad defensively and you can't make a save and someone's kind of got to pay for it, and it's easier to uh, pin that blame on the coach than it is to uh, basically completely change your roster, and, and especially for them, I mean, with how much money they have tied up in these guys. And I guess this serves as a, as a reminder to what we were talking about with the Avalanche, where, like, you can't really take stuff moving forward for granted in this league because while I think everyone would have looked at their situation and would have been like uh, you know Doug Wilson's really betting on the fact that they can win a Stanley Cup here and he doesn't really care what's going to happen three or four years down the line I don't think any of us went into this season expecting this would happen and and especially considering they've been for the most part healthy you know like Tomas Hurdle missed a couple games here or there but these guys have been in the lineup and for all I know they've been um you know good to good to go from a competition perspective it just for whatever reason I mean they basically are as bad as they were defensively last year and hanging out their goalies to dry but they offensively have completely fallen off the map and and just aren't playing the type of possession hockey they were last year and so it's really one of the league's bigger puzzles because there isn't an obvious uh you know piece to put in place there to fix it and and i'm not sure what they do but just knowing doug wilson i i do think that there is something coming here because i i don't think that just kind of playing the rest of the season out given the way it's gone is um is very palatable to him well and it's not in his mo which which you're correctly saying and look there's seven months removed from being in the Western Conference Final, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Even even with the loss of Pavelski and some of the things that happened in the offseason, I, I don't know that there would have been a way for for at least for conventional thinking to be that that they could find themselves potentially in a lottery pick position with you know Ottawa owning that first round pick. I mean, I, I I wouldn't have saw this this either. You know, you just think that blue line alone uh, would be enough. Uh, just you know, being such a good puck moving group that they would still be scoring goals at, at some kind of rate. And, you know, it hasn't been there for them. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what your big move is, though. I mean, it, I guess it's going to maybe be trading sort of a foundational type of player or someone who's been there a long time. I mean, maybe that's the option to either shake things up, but also create cap room to, to bring in someone different. Um, you know, but as I look at them, I just I don't see an obvious play at this point in time. And, you know, frankly, if they had their first round pick, I'd probably say, why not take a knee on the rest of this year, essentially, and, and just try to reload with, 
you know, uh, hopefully the first overall pick next year plus uh, the guys you already have. But that, that's not an option for them. What a turn of events for the Ottawa Senators organization. I mean, they're still owned by Eugene Melnick, but, uh, you know, DJ Smith's got them playing at least like respectable hockey where they're not just a, a complete write off on every given night. And, and now all of a sudden they're blessed with potentially two really high, uh, first round picks this summer. It's, uh, it's quite a 180 from where they were at this time last season. Yeah, they, they might end up with one, two. You know, mm. it would be improbable. It would take some, some serious lottery luck, but, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility, which, who would have predicted, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious to see how they approach the deadline. You know, we were talking about Pajot earlier and I, and I really do believe, in fact, I know there are teams already scouting him pretty heavily and that are interested in him, you know, should he move. But, you know, at this point in time, I don't think anyone knows for sure, you know, that he's going to be traded, that, that they're going to treat him as most rentals are treated. Uh, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of incentive to do that, uh, but they've also taken a number of hits, obviously trading, uh, away guys like Duchesne after acquiring him, Mark Stone, Eric Carlson within the last year and a half. And, and you know, Pajot, you know, it might just be that he's having such almost a ridiculous season. You know, when you look at his career, that, that it doesn't make sense for either him or, or them uh, to sign an extension before the deadline. But, you know, he is a local guy and the Senators are keeping their cards very close to the vest. I'd say even more than, than usual with this particular situation. And, and so, you know, I don't have a read on the fact that he'll definitely be moved. And, and I don't think a lot of teams know for sure either, honestly, that the rival teams you know how Ottawa's going to handle that uh, with now less than two months of the trade deadline. Well, I think a lot of these teams right now, I was thinking of this when we were talking about the Blackhawks and, and kind of where they're going to go for the rest of the season. But I think a lot of these teams are, are watching the World Juniors. And after that uh, debut performance by Alexi Lafreniere, I mean, man, uh, I think a lot of these teams are all of a sudden, like, even if they, uh, you know, they were competitive winning games and, 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 and whatnot, but not going to make the playoffs, all of a sudden, I think you're watching this and you're like, all right, let's, uh, let's see how we can, uh, you know, casually lose a few more games just in case, because this guy looks like he could, you know, just be uh, a, a, the type of franchise changing player that uh, only comes around every handful of years exactly and, and you don't want to overreact to, to one game at that one tournament but you know it was pretty dominant uh you know in canada's opener against the u.s from lafreniere and and look he's had a great season in the quebec league too i think he was winning the scoring title by 10 or 11 points at the time he left to, to join the, the, the canadian junior team and and so you know he's uh you know he's earned the hype that frankly has been building around him for a couple of years now uh, you know, even even as an NHL prospect going back. And, and uh, you know, I, I think if, if he was a center, I mean, he, the, everyone would be all in. I mean, I guess if there's any concern, and, and it, it's probably only small concern, but the, the fact he's a, you know, he plays the wing, you know, is, is maybe, you know, the difference between him and, say, you know, an Austin Matthews when he came up or obviously Connor McDavid uh, the year before that. But, um, you know, I, I think that anyone watching that tournament now, if you're, a fan of a team that's in the the bottom 10 in the league you, you probably don't mind seeing a few more losses uh, come up uh, on this side of the holidays um okay before we get out of here there there are a couple uh, other teams that are had here and i think the flames and then the canucks uh i'm going to put into this bin of uh you know we're talking about teams that feeling the heat or the pressure uh you know they've had up and down uh seasons they're in that pacific that's completely wide open and there's like what six teams within like eight eight to ten points of each other and um you know they're in different spots clearly that uh the flames came in you know last year they were so dominant in the regular season and, and then fell apart in the playoffs whereas the canucks haven't made the playoffs in four years but i think in both those situations uh i think there's 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 some pressure here to make the playoffs and and to do something now for the canucks um i wonder 
whether they're sort of handcuffed in their abilities to do that, even if Jim Benning would like to, because they've already dealt a future conditional first and they're sort of as amazing as it is to say about a team that's as mediocre as they are, um, kind of financially limited in terms of how they've already spent their money. So I'm not sure what they could do, but man, for both those teams, it feels like, especially with the Pacific being as wide open and and Arizona, who was a team, I think they were stacking themselves up against uh, going out and improving their team in such a tangible way. It feels like if anyone's going to make a panic trade, they'd be near the high, near the top of my list. Yeah, I I think that that's all fair. And look, you know, ownership in Vancouver has been clear that, you know, I think that the, the playoffs would be a real nice bonus. I mean, obviously every owner wants to make the playoffs, but I think, you know, some teams more than others understand maybe where they're at in their cycle or there's a certain plan that's been put in place with the hockey operations department. You know, I think in Vancouver, you know, it's, it's pretty clear that, that they want to give, you know, the, the Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersons and, and the like the experience of being in a playoff race, you know, down to the end of the season uh, to have them being playing meaningful games and, and, creating a buzz in the marketplace, but also getting those players that, that degree of experience. And it looks like at least now that they're positioned to, to achieve that aim, but you're right. I think that any potential room for improvement uh, there, that they're going to explore it. And, and, you know, I think that they might end up paying a price, frankly, that we, we think is crazy for a player just because, you know, they are feeling that, that level of heat, you know, Calgary, Calgary's interesting. I mean, let's face it. They're, they're young players aren't so young anymore. Mm-hmm. And you know they, they had such a, a fantastic regular season last year. Um, I'm with you. I think that they they're under tremendous pressure. I mean, uh, it wasn't for performance reasons, but you know they've, they've changed the coach this year and seen a little bit of a bump uh, under Jeff Ward since he took over on an interim basis. But uh, you know, I, I do think that that's that's a team and that was probably in the Taylor Hall thing a little bit more meaningfully than. Uh, was was at least known in the media at the time when that deal was going down and and you know i, I just i just sense that they they will be involved in in something big potentially uh, you know as we get to the, the second part of the year i mean the, the problem of course you know goes right back to our original one is i, I don't know how many impactful players are going to even be moved but you mm-hmm. know i can say with some confidence that they're going to be they're going to be banging on the door if, if it's clear that that one of those type of guys is available because you know i think that they look at that division the way we all do it's a bit of a bit of a stew there's not uh no there's an opportunity there uh even if if you know we don't view them as a high high end team at this point in time uh to to put things together and have a great playoff run and so um you know it's it's going to be a, a pretty intriguing battle i think uh, to, to see how that playoff race starts to crystallize as, as we get deeper into the season and you know I, I think you're right that those two teams will be aggressive i think edmonton would like to be but <laughs> You know, the right. advantage Ken Holland has is, is, you know, he's only been on a job less than a year. I think, you know, it's easier for him in his position being brought in on a five-year contract to, to preach some degree of patience to say that we, we shouldn't be trading a first-rounder, um, you know, but, you know, they're also capped out, so they're in a, a similar kind of quandary. But, you know, I, I wouldn't rule them out as, as a, a potential team that, that could make a, a big move too just because I think there's, there's pressure in that marketplace to get back in the playoffs. Uh, you know, while they have Connor McDavid playing at the level he is. 
Yeah, wasting another McDavid season like this would be a, a complete travesty. I think for the Flames, the, the one saving grace for them is, like, it's been encouraging under Jeff Ward that their offense has come alive. I think some of that was just, like, a natural regression, like Johnny Goodrow wasn't going to keep shooting whatever single-digit percentage he was the entire season, and he's certainly kind of shown signs of life here. But they, I think they could certainly benefit from another scoring winger, whether it was a, a Mike Hoffman or a Tyler DeFoley or so on and so forth. And so that's kind of typically we see around this time of year that's if you have one need, uh, that's probably a good one to have because those are the types of players that usually are kicking around for not too crazy prices whereas like defensemen and, and centers are harder to come by but yeah as, as, as much improved as they've been in the standings under Jeff Ward with a 8-3-1 and record it's still a lot of smoke and mirrors for me in terms of the underlying play not being that improved and and surprisingly like the the backbone of that team this year has been the amazing play of David Riddich and the goaltending and, and that's kind of been carrying them so I think um you know, we'll be curious to see. I know that uh, Brad Trilving has been pretty reluctant to, to, to spend on uh, pure rentals in the past, but just considering the way last year ended and, and now how they've come out of the gate this this season, I think there's going to be a, a bit of an added emphasis for that. So, yeah, I, I mean, hopefully some of these teams do feel it. Like, it, it's weird because this time of season, we get into that thing where, you know, with the loser point, one of the added benefits is that there's a ton of parity and all these teams can hang around the race and talk themselves into potentially competing for a playoff spot and and they get into these races down the stretch where they're still within earshot of a playoff spot and so they can kind of sell that to their fan base. But what that also leads us with is like a lot of teams that aren't really willing to pull the plug on their season and trade guys because they are in that spot. And so we don't have a very crystallized market of buyers and sellers. It's a lot of kind of teams in this gray area in the middle. And so maybe that provides an advantage for teams that are willing to and are able to critically assess where they stand. Uh, and the Rangers were a good example for me where even though they're kind of hanging around, I think, you know, they've been pretty smart in the past of realizing they need to play for the long game and accumulate as many assets as they can. And I wouldn't be surprised if if despite the fact that they're hanging around in the Metro, they would trade a guy like Chris Kreider just because the the potential return they could get for him, especially with Hall off the market now, is just is just too tasty to uh, to kind of sit by and, and overlook. So I'm really curious to see which teams uh, do assert themselves as sellers and which teams really go for it as buyers. And hopefully we get that and not just a bunch of teams kind of sitting on the fence. Right, and that's where the pressure comes in. And it's probably a good thing that there's a few markets where that pressure exists because you know that that's likely to push uh, front offices out of their comfort zones a little bit. And, you know, this is a wide open year. I mean, I, I think that we've kind of touched on that a little bit, but you know, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of teams that could at least talk themselves into the idea of, of things breaking their way. And if they have a strong second half and get things rolling and make an addition or two, and, and, you know, that usually creates uh, a little bit more, uh, you know, excitement in the, in the trade market as well. All right, CJ. Well, I know you're a busy man. I'm going to let you go. You're uh, you're an absolute champ. I really uh, appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and chat. And this was a blast. And uh, happy holidays. Happy New Year. And uh, let's do this again sometime in 2020 and not wait as long as we did last time. Yeah, we're not waiting till 2021. You can, you can mark that down as one of my resolutions. All right, man. Chat soon. Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast. <laughs> <laughs>